Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. It is Friday, November 25th. As I'm recording the intro to this episode, I actually wasn't sure if I was going to put this episode up today or if I was going to wait and do a replay. Um, because I know, you know, for most of you, you're probably on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving break. Maybe you got a day or two off um, from school or work. You may have celebrated with friends and family and loved ones. And we had similar plans, but our plans got derailed because we caught COVID for the first time. Now, we've been getting sick a lot this winter season since September, but this is our first time catching COVID, and it really threw me off. I you know, had to be in bed for days. The exhaustion was like, the only thing I can, rem I can describe it or that it reminds me of is pregnancy exhaustion where you can't stay awake during the day. That's what I felt. And so that threw off my plans for this week, and I was not sure if I was going to be able to make it to putting this episode up today, but um, thankfully I gained some energy, so it is out now for you to enjoy, and it is actually really good timing because if you are dealing with any kind of stressors due to the holiday season, if you are um, getting sick a lot like we have been if you are impacted by the changes in the season. There's a lot of things that could impact, negatively impact your mental health. And so please, please enjoy this episode with Dr. Lisette Sanchez, who talks all about mental health for first-gen students and professionals. I found it super insightful, and I hope that you enjoy it too. So Let's get straight to that episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Yvette, and today I have a very important topic. It's all about mental health awareness for those of us that are first-gen students and professionals. Our guest is Dr. Lisette Sanchez, who is a bilingual and bicultural licensed psychologist, coach, and speaker. She is the founder of Calathea Wellness, a virtual practice providing individual therapy, coaching, and speaking services. In addition, she has a passion for working with BIPOC folks and first-gen professionals, which happens to be very similar to my audience, those of you listening today. And on a personal note, Dr. Alicet grew up in the San Fernando Valley with immigrant parents from El Salvador and Mexico. Woo woo! <laughs> I'm from the Valley too, so I have to cheer up. <laughs> and I'm just in the um, background. I know. She's, it, for, for those of you that, that <laughs> can't see the video, she's raising her hand. <laughs> um, but so she's also the first in her family to finish high school and to pursue higher ed. A lot of similarities there. So um, she enjoys spending time with loved ones, trying new foods, and taking her cat Louie on daily walks. And she'll mm -hmm. share a lot more about herself right now as we get into the episode. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lisette. Thank you so much, Dr. Lisette. I am so happy to be here. So excited to be in this space. Talking about this topic is so important to me. I'm I'm especially passionate when it comes to destigmatizing mental health. And so sharing about why mental health is important, uh, especially for marginalized communities, which within these communities, it's common to, ha to have experienced so much oppression that it's very scary to be vulnerable and raw with anyone. Right. Um, and so uh, I'd like to share my, my knowledge and expertise to hopefully help provide some more context and to maybe provide a little bit of courage that someone is needing to take that next step and uh, you know schedule that 
free consultation call for the therapist, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. So it's so wonderful to have you here. And yeah. for the folks that maybe don't know as much about you, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, maybe even yeah. a little bit about your background, backstory. Um, like, yeah. how did you get to where you are today? Ooh. Through a lot of help. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> how I got to where I got to today. Uh, a lot of grit, determination, perseverance, and a lot of what many of your listeners, and I'm sure many shared experiences that you've had as well. And so, so I'm Dr. Lisa. I go by Dr. Lisa, and my pronouns are she, her, ella. And professionally, I'm a, a licensed psychologist. I also do some leadership coaching and uh, I am a speaker. And so I really do enjoy when I say that I'm really passionate about this, I will talk to you about this all day long. And so bring me to your company to talk to you about my why mental health is so important. Uh, and so professionally, it, that, those are my titles. That's a bit of what I do. But that is informed a lot by my personal my lived experiences and expertise. And so I myself am first gen, as you mentioned, uh, and I grew up in an immigrant household in, with working class parents in the San Fernando Valley. And so uh, when I was growing up, mental health was not something that was really talked about with my family. And it's not very common in many Latinx or Latina yes, families, yeah. first of all, right? And, but although it was not talked about, uh, when I was really little, uh, when I started PK, I think it was, I did not want to go to school because I had a bit of separation anxiety. I didn't like being Aww. away from my mother. And so every time they took me to school, I would cry. I would grab my mom's leg. I was a stubborn child. I was like, no, I, I can't be away from her. And my parents, in, in not knowing what to do, trusted the teacher's advice and took me to see a child psychologist. Uh, when I share this with folks, most people are really surprised that my parents yeah. even considered that. So uh, I like to share that because while I don't remember much about it, I'm not going to claim that that is why I went and decided to become a <laughs> therapist. I, I thought honestly, that's where you were going. <laughs> I know, I know. That's where it sounds like it's going, but I'm like, let me just, let me break it down for you all. It, um, it, it, so I have this memory. And so, but in, but honestly, in my memory, I, my memory, I was really scared. Uh, so I want to normalize that the, the, even your first time doing something that might be helpful, it can be really, really scary. So in my memory, I remember being scared and remember telling my mom, like, all I remember is, is the psychologist asking you to get a step out of the room. And, and then I just go blank because I was so scared. And my mom, when I tell her the story, she's like, we were right outside the door. There was a window. We could see you. You just couldn't see us. You were safe. But my earliest memory was like, maybe not feeling as safe. Uh, and, you know, something shifted because at some point I started to feel safe. Uh, I don't remember that. Um, and then, uh, you know, you're a kid, you have dreams of wanting to, I don't know about you all. I was a big dreamer as a child. I wanted to be everything when I grew up from, you know, like the teacher, just from anyone who I interacted with, who inspired me, right? That could be the person selling elotes on the street because <laughs> they, they were so good. I want my corn. Um, or, or, you know, uh, at one point I said, why to be a, a surgeon who would develop an artificial heart? Like I did a whole speech in fifth grade and <laughs> I was like, that was important. But sometime in middle school, I decided I wanted to be a psychologist and I wanted to be a psychologist. One, I, I think partially there was that experience where I understood, oh, there's such a thing as people who can help you when you're struggling with something. I understood that they existed. Uh, so one, you can't know what you can't know that that's an option if you don't know it exists. And lots of people do not know that's an option, right? So I had that awareness that that was an option. Um, two, I was just a really curious child, and I was so curious. I had a lot of questions. Uh, I would hear my family talk about nervios, talk about uh, you know the, the importance of privacy, and and I remember thinking, you know, there's more to this, and I wanted to understand how is our culture. How is this our upbringing, our customs? How does this impact just our, our mental health, right? Um, and so middle school decided that's what I wanted to do. And I remember my seventh grade teacher asking me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that was my first, my earliest memory of actually vocalizing, I want to be a psychologist. And she said, oh, you know, I can see that. 
Uh, she also said it was because of my doctor handwriting, but you know, we just like ignored that portion as a child. We just, <laughs> all I heard was, I, I see you be a psychologist. I can see you making that happen. And that was the only message and reinforcement that I needed because from then on, I was going to be a psychologist. And, and let me, again, be clear. I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea what that included. And just to speak to the first gen experience, I just thought, okay, this just means my next step is go to college. Um, mm -hmm. So I break it down because I think a biggest strength of mine was that I really just looked at it as one step at a time because I didn't fully understand how much education it required. Yeah. You as a fellow doctor, <laughs> <laughs> like recipient, understand. But um, I didn't understand what you, I thought. Okay, I'll go to college. I'll get my bachelor's, and then I'm a psychologist. <laughs> That's okay. Okay. So just to be clear, that was my thinking process. So first, go get into college. I get into college, and then I go my first quarter. I think it was, and I went to UC San Diego and I took a class that talked about careers in psychology. And I'm like, all right, this is where I learned. That is the class. Oh, I think it was my second quarter. That is a class where I learned that to become a psychologist, I needed a doctoral degree. I needed to have a certain GPA. I needed to have certain experiences. Um, and I, I want to clarify that it was my second quarter because I then realized that I needed to have a at least a 3.0 GPA. And my mm. first quarter was so hard for me that I my GPA was like at a 2.6 or 2.7. Um, and, and again, I share this because you know this is so common, especially for first-gen folks, that first term, first semester, first quarter at college, most people's GPAs tend to drop. That was I my know. entire first year too. Yeah. There you go. Right. Oh. Right. So, but I remember because I remember being like, oh my goodness, how am I going to get my GPA up? Because also those of you whose GPA has gone down, you know how hard it is. Mm -hmm. It is so hard. I have to. And so then my next goal was get my GPA up high enough so that I could obtain opportunities to, you know, to do that. And so this, this is the, that was the path of you know, I wanted to do something. I didn't fully understand what I needed for it. And I learned each step of the way. So my next goal was get my GPA up so that I could apply to, you know, pro, uh, research internships or experiences that would help me be more competitive. Um, and then I ended up finding out about the McNair program. And the McNair program is a federally funded research program for lots of first gen and underrepresented individuals in higher education. And they provide them with a mentor, an advisor who like instructs them and helps them learn more about what research is or depending on your area of specialty or interest. Um, they have conferences where they help you enhance your presentation skills and public speaking and you do all of this. And, and they also do some GRE prep and just really help guide you through the process of how to apply to graduate school which I'm sure you've talked about maybe that on here a little bit. Yes. I uh, <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, and, and so they have, uh, so, so anyway, it was an amazing program. And what was so great about that is in addition to all of the support, because I was a McNair scholar, when it came time to apply to doctoral programs, many institutions had something that's called a fee waiver where I didn't have to apply. I'm sorry, I didn't have to pay to apply. Uh, because they would just waive my fee because I was a McNair scholar. And so that was, again, another step that really helped me, you know, got got through it, eventually applied to schools, went, went through a master's first, because I uh, realized I needed to make my application more competitive, uh, did my master's, ended up at a PhD program. Uh, and, you know, that took a very long time. So I always tell people it was about a 13 year journey to become a licensed psychologist, four years of undergrad, two years of my master's program, six years of my uh, PhD, my doctoral program, and then a year towards licensure. And I don't know if that adds up to 13, but I hope it does because that was the number I had in my head. <laughs> I was actually <laughs> doing the math as you said it, yes, 13. <laughs> I'm glad, thank you, <laughs> not my area. So, um, so, so all of that, you know, and, and, but every step of the way, my goal was always, how do I uplift my community with me? Uh, and so various experiences to do that. And so, uh, because and that's always been a strong value of mine, like uplifting others. And so everywhere I've worked at, everywhere I've been, I'm always looking for volunteer opportunities as, uh, to provide more mentorship because mentorship has been what, this is why I think this is so important because it, it is pivotal in helping shape the different experiences that you have and really providing you a bit more insight into what to expect. In high school, I had a, my English teacher who 
edited my personal statements and sat with me while I submitted those applications, helped me fill out my FAFSA application. I don't know where I'd be without him. I don't, you know, yeah. and, and it's those people who make such a big impact with these small actions in our lives that are so important. Um, and every step along the way, I had different mentors uh, and some more helpful than others in helping guide. Uh, and uh, it, it, I guess that's a, that's a different conversation of like how you find a good mentor. Um, but, you know, really finding that those are the people that help me keep going. And uh, I think that mentorship, that's why I love this. I love that all you do because without the mentorship, you know, as first gen, you're already needing to do so much on your own. You're already yes. trailblazing. There's already so much you don't know. And to have someone at least say, you know, like, here's, you know, go, going to office hours is really important. You should go to office hours. You should consider it a part of your class and understand. I didn't understand that. I think that's on my third year of college. Before then, I was terrified of going to office hours. What does this mean? What do I do? And so what if I, like, I don't have anything to talk to them about, right? And so learning that it's not just, it's there to build a relationship. So I'll pause there, but that's a bit about my story and my, like that education trajectory to becoming psychologist that I am now, which is, I didn't actually say what I do now, which is, uh, <laughs> I, I have my private practice and it's called Calathea Wellness Coaching and Psychological Service. Calathea is a, is a plant species that represents new beginnings or to turn over a new leaf. Nice. And so that's why that's special to me. Um, and in that, I specialize in working with BIPOC and first-gen professionals. Uh, and so that and that is what I'll be talking about today. You, you couldn't be a more perfect speaker um, for, you know, the, the Grad School Femtoring podcast because um, we really focus on, on addressing and speaking to the experiences of first-gen students of color, so first-gen BIPOC students. And a lot of listeners are actually McNair scholars. So they're yeah. McNair scholars or they're Mellamay fellows or they come from a very like similar shared experience as yours. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really important to have more voices and to share actually another trajectory too, because I know that at least my experience with the McNair program and having worked within the McNair program for nearly five years, that that a lot there's a lot of pressure to go into academia, but you actually mm -hmm. pursued kind of a, a slightly different route of like becoming yes. um, a psychologist, and then uh, not only that, but also your own private practice, such as entrepreneurship yeah, entrepreneur. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm also a first gen entrepreneur. Just yes. to add that to my list. I told everyone I was like, if when you're first gen, I, I say I collect first. But I'm like, I, first gens Aww. all collect first. And I'm like, I'm here to collect all the first experiences and not just the ones that are supposed to be challenging, difficult, but also the fun ones, right? Like, I love that I collect first. I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> yeah, let's collect first, all of it. Yeah, it's um, trailblazer. <laughs> yeah, every, yeah. And, and yeah, don't get me started. I, I think for the first gen identity, we talk about all of the ways that it's a challenge to be first gen. Um, but I love talking about all of the strengths within this identity and yes. how powerful we are because you all like we are so powerful in every space that we are in and we, we just don't see it because the, that's not the messaging that we've received and right. so I want people to feel so empowered by their identity and not intimidated because you are more interesting you are more you have so much more to offer um, than 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 someone who who had maybe additional support who had that additional guidance because you've had to develop a new perspective to pave the way for yourself. Right. Thank you for that, for that reminder for all of us who are first in. Um, so actually today we're here to talk about, I think that, you know, there, there's that tie-in because mental health also influences kind of how we feel about ourselves. And we're here, you know, to have you talk a little bit more about mental health awareness. So can you get us started by maybe sharing a little bit more unpacking what mental health awareness is. I know, I think that there's, mm -hmm. we all have this idea of what we think mental health awareness is, but there's also kind of your own kind of definition and impressions of it. Um, and then also after that, if you can tell us like how it relates to first-gen students and professionals and BIPOC students and professionals. Okay, so mental health awareness. Let's talk about that first. So when I talk about mental health, 
and destigmatizing mental health. My goal is with helping people feel more comfort with having just conversations around our mental health uh, and it not being something that is too scary to talk about or too much. You know, often mm -hmm. there's a fear, it's like, I'll be too much. I'm going to be a burden if I share this with people. Um, and then, but what happens when we begin to internalize uh, a lot of our stressors, right? We, then we begin to develop different mental health symptoms, mm. right? And those symptoms could come up maybe physically, like in some somatic is something that we refer to. You notice that maybe when you're a bit more stressed, you start getting more headaches. You start maybe getting stomach aches. You start feeling a reduction in your appetite, shifts in your behaviors, right? When we're not attuned to our mental health needs, it impacts us, right? So there's that physical impact. And then there's the emotional impact. You might notice that you're more irritable, that you're you're feeling really, really anxious. You're waking up with a tightness in your chest and you're feeling like you can't breathe um, or you're feeling unmotivated and uh, struggling to get out of bed. Uh, all, of, all of the mental health symptoms that come along, and I'm going to talk about it as a result of chronic stress uh, because that's something that, especially in American society who highly values hustle culture and just push through culture uh it is it is something that, that that people commonly experience and so i hope you all can relate to that experience your stress you, you notice everything feels different so mental health awareness is we can we have control we can do something about that one remembering that there's something we can do about it too it's also to enhance the, how much of a priority people make it you know when we're physically ill it's so easy it's so much easier to make it a priority not, I was gonna say easy, but I I like stop myself because it's not easy. All right, I've I've definitely had days where I should have taken a sick day, and I'm like, no, I'm just gonna push through, right? That push through culture, but it's easier now because we are have an understanding that we need to rest. If we rest, if you're feeling sick one day, physically sick, you take the day off, you sleep it off, you feel better the next day. So why don't we think about it that way when it comes to our mental health? When we're having a rough mental health day. Honestly, if we pause, took a nap, did a reset for ourselves, we would also notice a reduction in the symptoms that we're experiencing. Maybe we won't feel way better immediately, but you'll notice a difference. So, um, and it's especially important for me to talk about this within BIPOC or first-gen communities, because individuals who have any kind of marginalized identities usually are at higher risk to experience a lot of these emotional or mental health symptoms. Uh, one. One, it's because you're uh, living in an area maybe you don't feel as safe or you don't maybe trust certain, uh, you don't trust certain systems to take care of you. Right. right? And so you're going to be on alert a little bit more, right? Um, maybe your family, the, I talk about generational trauma a lot and generational trauma is, uh, a it is essentially a trauma response that is inherited through generations. So uh, let's say your, your grandparents experienced a trauma um, and then they shifted behaviors because of that. They became very strict, more protective. So then they were incredibly strict with your parents who again thought this is the way to be because for you to be safe, we have to be very strict and we can't be easy on you. Um, and maybe that turns into things like corporal punishment, la chancla, like the things we hear about. And then it passes on to you. And then you learn, oh, for me to, for people to take me seriously, I have to be really strict and even violent, right? And in the big part of the work is how do we then tease apart some of these cycles and understand at some point, maybe it was needed. Maybe it was needed to keep people safe, but it is, it, it, is no longer serving you if it's causing you more stress, right? So it's also bringing awareness to a lot of these cycles to help people enter more into their generational healing, right? With passing on more of the coping skills, taking time to rest. I talk about rest a lot, um, but that's why mental health aware what mental health awareness is and why it's so important, specifically for BIPOC students and first gen professionals, because these are often folks who hold all, several intersectional marginalized identities. Thank you for sharing that. You know, when when you um, talked about mental health awareness, um, I I appreciate that you talked about it as both 
kind of opening up the conversation about mental health, but then also learning to become more aware of your own mental health and how it, um, mm -hmm. how it manifests, you know, for yourself yeah. with, with, within your body too. And then um, you talked a little bit about stress and also chronic stress. And so I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about that because it, yeah. I, 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 so with listeners being first-gen students, so undergrads, grad students, it's really hard to see outside of um, living under conditions of chronic stress when you have yeah. not seen anything other than that, whether it's like from yeah. yourself or your family members and the generations that come before you. So um, yeah, maybe you can, if you can tell us a little bit more about the difference between just yeah. your everyday stress and yeah. uh, that's like normal and potentially even good for you and chronic stress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so like, you know, there's a threshold, right? There's, there's yeah. this whole matrix. I'm forgetting the name of it now for the, the threshold of like for stress and how we experience it, but just to like explain it more basically, it's um, nor, uh, a normal and expected stress is uh, those of you who are students, uh, you have a presentation. Right, you have a presentation, any kind of public speaking for most people is a stressful experience, yeah. at least leading up to it. Right. Um, and there's a level of stress we experience that's sort of this, this these nerves that we feel that it, and it's normal. It's like you want to do a good job. It's sort of your body saying, like, I want to do well, I'm I'm practicing, I'm working hard for this, right? And so um, and and that happens. Um, now, usually when you're doing something over and over and over again, you maybe develop more comfort with it, right? So let's say you're doing public speaking, you do it over and over again, you get more comfortable with it. Um, but that little bit of stress, it doesn't necessarily go away because again, you're always feeling a little bit like, I want to make sure I do a good job. Um, and so that stress is is almost motivating, right? Mm -hmm. like, um, a little bit, it's, it's just a smaller level of stress. Um, deadlines right you can feel it but it's motivating but it's not um impacting your quality of life right uh I, with anything in mental health something becomes a problem or something that needs to be addressed when it starts to interfere with your quality of quality mm. of life so chronic stress is then you know you start to experience let's say you are, let's continue with the example of public speaking but it, the level of stress you experience every time you speak continues to be the same and in fact maybe it intensifies and you start feeling more pressure you start and, and you notice and so you know I can speak to my personal experience as a student as an example I experienced chronic stress throughout all of my graduate school experience from my master's to my doctoral level there were certain classes or meetings or you know interactions that caused me additional stress uh, so, and, and for example, I had, we had our doctoral seminars every week, which is, you know, the, these are our group sort of meetings with our advisor. Um, and I found that for all of those meetings and they were Friday mornings at 10 AM. Okay. So let's, let's talk about it's the end of the week. And it is one of the most stressful times for me. Um, and, um, just for different reasons, you know, I, I felt really intimidated, uh, by being in this space. I constantly still experience that need to prove myself, even though I was in the program. Uh, like I still would feel that. And so I, I want to normalize this, that even though yeah. I was in this program studying mental health, like it was constant, right? This chronic stress. I'd show up and just want to make sure I'm performing to my best, but at such a high cost, because when I say impact my quality of life, many of those mornings I would wake up and I could not eat breakfast mm. because I would be so nervous. Um, and I would make it there and I'd be nervous. I'm like, what if today is the day that someone asks me a question and I don't know the answer to it? And that is how they know that I do not belong here, right? I experienced very strong the imposter phenomenon or imposter syndrome commonly. It was very strong for me of that. And so again, really common. Um, and so, but that's more of that chronic stress experience. And when you experience yeah. chronic stress, we can lead to uh, more like long-term health difficulties. Yeah. Um, I know individuals who you know develop like irritable bowel syndrome from it or other much higher level of medical diagnoses, right? Um, because chronic stress is not it's not healthy for us. Your body is a constant in constant survival mode, right? And so in my program, we I remember we like 
everyone got sick at some point in some capacity uh and and you know looking back i can understand it more and that's i share that with my program but that's most graduate programs yeah. where lots of students are under a lot of stress so know that i'm i'm sharing this but it's from my experience and everyone who i've talked to and and like my other colleagues everyone has a shared experience and that's why academia can be so difficult um to stay in um yeah. because it's a state of chronic stress. And again, more so when you're coming from a marginalized population where you are more likely to experience certain things like the imposter phenomenon, yeah. um, because I felt like I didn't have a voice uh, and I was too scared to use it at times. Um, and so I hope that example helped with differentiate some of the stress and chronic stress. I'm going to ask another follow-up question yeah. um, just because um, you mentioned the imposter phenomenon, and I know that a lot of us use the phrase imposter syndrome. And mm -hmm. as a mental health professor, a uh, professor, professional, <laughs> also yeah. pro professor, yeah. right? yeah. practically, yeah. you're teaching yeah. us, yeah. you yeah. professor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so can you um, share a little bit more about kind of your, your intentional choice of differentiating between the term mm -hmm. phenomenon and syndrome? Yes. And so for me, it's important. Uh, so first of all, when the term was first coined, it was the imposter phenomenon, right? I think it was in 1979, the two psychologists who, or the two researchers who looked into this were doing research on, on women specifically and wanting to understand this experience. And it was always referred to as imposter phenomenon. At some point, it was switched to imposter syndrome. And syndrome is incredibly pathologizing. When mm. we hear the term syndrome, it's like, oh, there's something wrong with me. But the imposter phenomenon is a reaction to an environment, right? When you hear the word phenomenon, you're like, oh, this isn't something that's wrong with me. This is something that's happening to me that's a result of these different lived experiences that I have, right? I was feeling like an imposter. And at the time I did call it imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. This is a process. This is something that I'm learning. But in my work and in my, my personal work in overcoming this and really working through it, and that doesn't mean I don't experience it. It just means that when I experience it, I, I understand what coping skills to utilize to help. Um, but a big part of that growth and a big part of overcoming that is distinguishing. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. It is a phenomenon, not a syndrome. It is an experience. It is a reaction to the messaging that you receive probably all of your life yeah. that you do not belong in a certain space. That's not a you problem. That's a them problem, right? That's the people who say you don't belong problem. That's a that's why it's a phenomenon. Thank you. Thank you. I think yeah. that that's going to uh, light up some some folks like like some yeah. they're gonna um, feel seen and heard and and understood yeah. and and really kind of um, relate to that experience of like I have been made to feel like I do not belong but there's nothing wrong with me yeah, um, yeah that's so important yeah. it's an important message um, we're, we're so we're talking about mental health and we're recording this episode it's kind of it's this time in um, the season where the climate you know is changing and you know we're kind of going into the holiday season mm -hmm. and we recently although not recent by the time that folks listen to this but we went through like the, the time change and mm -hmm. so there's a lot of transitions going on right now and this can impact our routines. And for some of us, uh, and I'm speaking about myself right now because I am someone who I have to be very careful about managing my mental health. Like any you know, changes like this could potentially impact, negatively impact my mental health. So I'm wondering yeah. if you could share a little bit more about managing mental health, um, especially during the holiday season. Yes. Okay. So one, it's really challenging for all the reasons you listed. And also holidays are really triggering for people for, you know, because this yeah. means more time with certain family members who maybe trigger us in different ways themselves, uh, certain questions. Commonly, uh, this is Itu Novio season. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, I'm not going <laughs> to, and Itu Novio, Novia, Novia, right? And wait, but that the term you hear in Spanish, where's your significant other right yeah. why aren't you dating um which again that's why it's another pressure for folks and so uh so one know know that 
and you know, with this time, a lot, something slow down, but something speed up, right? Depending on where you work. So one yeah. thing is, it's like your workplace, something's going to shift in your workplace at this time. It's either crunch time or slow down time. Depends what kind of work you do for a living, right? So that's a shift and that's hard. Anytime we go through a transition, um, there is an adjustment. Yeah. Uh, and for some people, they take that adjustment um, and it's easier. But uh, for most people, it's like it throws you off for a few days, right? The, the time change, right? Well, I'm happy to be able to sleep in another day. I'm finding or sleep in, be able to sleep in in the morning a little bit for that first day. Like I'm having a hard time falling asleep after. I'm having, uh, I'm noticing my appetite has shifted. My energy has shifted. Um, if those of you who maybe live in places where you, you know, I'm in Southern California where I do get a lot of sun, but while I lived in Oregon, there were there were years where, you know, it would rain a hundred days in a row where there was all of this time. Or so, so I did my doctorate in the Pacific Northwest, just, just for context. And so I uh, remember those days were really hard because I would miss the sun and I'm like, mm. I like, I need some vitamin D and needing to be mindful. How do I make sure that I'm providing some happy hormones for my body to get through this? Right. So when just normalizing, this is a hard time for all of those different reasons. And so how, what do you do about it? Right. So uh, quick, quick tip first is, you know, reassess what do you need? Mm. You know, what are, what are your immediate needs? Um, oftentimes when we are raised in cultures that are more collectivistic, we're not thinking about our ourselves first. We're thinking about our families, our loved ones, everyone else and their needs. Um, but you can't pour from an empty cup. You gotta put your mask on first, all of these things. They're really, really true, especially when it comes to your mental health. I'm not asking you to take a mental health day. I'm asking you to keep in mind your mental health needs. Um, that might mean that you need alone time at the end of your day. Maybe that means that you give it five extra minutes before you go back into your home so that you have five more minutes to yourself. Maybe that's a five minute longer shower. And I always talk about this in five minutes because everyone has five minutes. You have yes. five minutes. You have five minutes. And again, you five minutes shower, you close the door, you put on your favorite song or you, you go and you dance it out. Right. You like do a breathing exercise five minutes. So this is when this matters most, like, so be mindful. So one, but know, know what your needs are to have a coping strategy that helps you. And if you are, if you, and, and coping strategies include uh, talking to anyone in your social support system, someone who you trust, someone who you feel safe with and saying like, I'm having a bad day. And then knowing maybe uh, oftentimes people are like, oh, I'm nervous. Like what, what if I ask someone for help, like, what, what are they going to do? What do I need? I don't want to be a burden. You can say, Hey, I'm having a bit of a hard time. Um, I don't really, if you're not ready to talk about it, say I'm not ready to talk about it, but what would be really helpful is uh, if we could like plan a movie night together mm -hmm. or do something fun, right? You can, ask, you can ask for specific things. I know when I'm having a hard time, I'll message my group of friends and say like, I'm having a hard time. Memes and cute pet pictures are appreciated right now. <laughs> and, 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 like, and it's accessible. It's like, you can send your friends a meme and say like, oh, I just want, I just want to feel seen. Uh, for a moment and I feel seen when I when I know my friends are thinking of me and so I'm gonna mm. ask for that right um or co-regulating co-regulating is um uh relying on another individual usually someone again a trusted loved one to to just even hold you or be with you in that space mm. as you need to reduce your stress um but my biggest recommendation for just reducing stress like as a quick tip because I have so many tips it would just be a deep breathing exercise uh, and the reason for that, uh, one of them you can look up called belly breathing or diaphragmatic breathing. And you're essentially trying to take deep breaths through your nose and you breathe out slowly through your mouth as if you're blowing air out through a straw. Um, and you do this really slowly. And what this does, it reduces your heart rate, right? So like you're not going to feel as tense. And while you're doing that, it's also reducing the level of cortisol, which is a stress hormone in your mm -hmm. body. And so there are physiological changes happening with breathing our breath is really powerful um and of course i have to recommend therapy and yes. talk about it more <laughs> but i was waiting for that you. one <laughs> i'm gonna give you tips i need to give accessible tips and then also because therapy is not necessarily as accessible yeah. to everyone right yeah. i don't get that right um but if it is if you're a student uh at all institutions should have some sort of support for you even if it's a one-time session with a therapist and it should be included in your tuition. Um, so I would look into the services offered at your 
uh, at your institution. And sometimes maybe it's a workshop. Maybe you're like, I don't have time to do the one-on-ones at the end of the semester. It's really tough. Um, but I, maybe I'll make it a priority to schedule that at the beginning of the semester. And for now, I'll attend one of the workshops or drop-in hours that they're offering. Um, but speaking with a mental health professional is really the best way you can care for your mental health because then they will set goals that are tailored to your individual needs. Um, and uh, and finding someone who can um, be aware of your, like the, the different salient identities you have can also be really helpful. Someone who has awareness. So like a, if, your, if your culture is really important to you, finding a therapist who has that strong cultural understanding uh, it, it would be ideal, right? So that, and I'll pause there because I have a lot I can say on this. Oh, I mean, I would love to have you keep going <laughs> on and on and on because I, I, yeah, I live for this stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like you know, it's it's just as important as our physical health, as our spiritual mm-hmm. health. It's just it's part. Mm-hmm. It's one. It's one of like many different components that affect our lives and. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just like you mentioned earlier, you know, BIPOC students, first gen students, like you're the first, you're made to feel like you're not, you know, like you don't belong. If you're BIPOC, you're already maybe experiencing other kind of obstacles yeah. and forms of oppression. So if you might have a higher chance of struggling with mental health, like these are the things. So thank you for sharing all of these, yeah. all of these yeah. tips. <laughs> And can I add to that? You do not have to yes. be a crisis to talk to a therapist. You do not have oh to be a crisis. Oh my gosh, yes. You have to be <laughs> I'm whatever. told people, I'm like, every car needs a tune-up. We need a tune-up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, you do not have to be in crisis. You can just go, common, common concerns people go to therapy for are, you know, like conflict with a friend, conflict with a relationship complex, maybe str- adjusting to something. Again, those transitions, you're moving somewhere, you started a new job, you started a new, uh, like at a new school, um, like you, you you just want to learn more about yourself and your identity. Uh, there's so much you can go to and it does not have to be for those moments when you're just very, very stressed. Uh, and and uh, trust the the therapist and trust them at the health professional to give you the resources that that you need. And trust me, if we if we if we meet with you and we're like, oh, you have everything you need, you're good, then we will talk through to help you feel more empowered mm-hmm. uh, to use that. But I, I say this because the amount of times I have people who I've met with who say like, I don't know if my problems are 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 bad enough for me to be here. Uh, is really common. And I'm like, if you want to talk to a therapist, that's the only reason you need to go to therapy. That's it. Like, I'm kind of curious. And then you can try it. Literally the only reason. Don't need anything else. Yeah. (laughs) There's no single person that I know that doesn't have obstacles or problems that Mm -hmm. come up or just Mm -hmm. transitions that they're navigating or that they're dealing with. So thank you for, for that, for that message. Um, So I know we're kind of going to get close to, to wrapping up. I want to be mindful of the time, but I wanted to ask you for your words of advice and you've been sharing so many gems, but also like if, if there are folks who are listening and they know that they are currently struggling with their mental health, what advice would you give to them aside from what you've already shared about um, tips and if it's accessible to them about um, reaching out to working with a, a mental health professional? Yes. So, um, I want to share an affirmation with you for this because I, I have an affirmation that I really like. And it's it's not what you say out loud that determines your life. It's what you whisper to yourself that has the most power. Uh, and I want to say that because oftentimes we forget how much of a role we can play in managing the distress we experience. I think oftentimes uh, because we feel so powerless uh, and we are made to felt powerless, just to reaffirm that we are made to feel powerless. Um, we forget that there are things that we can do and that we that will help us feel better, right? And that you can feel empowered. Taking care of your mental health is an empowering experience. And it may not feel empowering initially because you're, you're you may be thinking to yourself like, but 
why would I want to go talk to someone and admit all of my insecurities and share all of these vulnerable moments? If I share that, then does that not actually make me powerless? Because then someone knows all of my secrets. Mm. Someone knows, et cetera, et cetera. But what you don't realize is that, it, or you may not realize in those moments when you're feeling powerless, you're also feeling that you're not having your voice. And in therapy, when you begin to unpack that, then you begin to find your voice. Finding your voice means you're learning how to be a better advocate for yourself, right? You're learning how to ask for what you need. Um, you're learning more how to give yourself what you need as well. Um, and so, and that that voice, that remember that affirmation, right? It's not what I say out loud. It's what I whisper to myself, right? How are you talking to yourself about these things? What are you saying to yourself? What is that internal dialogue? Are you telling yourself, I should know how to do this. I should be better. Where's the self-compassion, right? So my long-winded way of saying you, the biggest hurdle initially for my clients is self-compassion uh, and really giving yourself the same grace that you would give anyone, anyone you love and care for and saying, I'm having a hard time and that's okay. So biggest tip here is self-compassion, being kind to yourself, listen to what kinds of things you're saying to yourself. You are not a failure. You're maybe going through a hard time and you're learning and you're growing. Thank you for that. I, I really like that affirmation. I, it's true. <laughs> what we whisper to ourselves yeah. can yeah. say a lot. And that's why like the reframe is also very important. And I think a lot of what you've shared is also is also that is like you might be thinking, I don't belong. Actually, I have not been affirmed or I mm -hmm. I don't do this. Actually, you know, the opposite. Yeah. You know, we talk about first gen struggles, but then there are so many like first gen strengths you know so mm -hmm, mm -hmm, thank you mm -hmm. thank you for that yeah yeah um do you have anything else that uh, maybe you uh didn't get to share and if not we'd love oh. to have you share more about how folks can reach you folks who connected yeah. resonated want to be in touch want to follow you your work or um learn more yeah. Yeah, and thank you, thank you so much, Dr. Ivet. First of all, you know, for creating this community and for creating this space and inviting me to be on here with you. Uh, I, you'll hear me say this time and time again. You know, I, if the biggest takeaway I want for anyone listening to this is, I want you to think about one way that you can improve your mental health today. What is one percent? What's just that one percent? And and maybe that's uh, setting an alarm to go to bed early to help you actually get the sleep that you've been wanting. Maybe it's creating a meal prep plan so that, you know, you, you're, you don't get hangry and irritable, right? To help you. <laughs> Speaking from personal experience. I was going to say, are you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's so common. Oh, yeah. no, hangriness. Oh, that's my thing. I, food, <laughs> no, nourishment, basic needs there. But yeah, so like, uh, to do one thing and, um, and, you know, like there are all, you're already doing one thing by listening to this podcast, first of all. So let me actually say you check, check that off for today. Oh. Uh, check that off for today. But moving forward, uh, try to think about that for yourself. What's one thing, or, you know, you hear people 1% better, but if you're doing one thing for yourself every day, and that one thing, again, remember, it could be five minutes, it does not have to be big, it does not have to cost money. It could be saying five minutes of looking out the window counting how many trees are outside or plants or whatever so that I can have a break from the screen because yes. students come on <laughs> not just I'm sitting by a window and sometimes I'm like oh God, look outside look outside it's so important um and how you can connect with me find me so I am uh most active on Instagram and my Instagram handle it's, it's my full name so Dr. Lisette Sanchez I'm sure we'll put it in the in the yes, show notes definitely uh my, my website's calatheowellness.com and uh, you can, you know, find that again. We'll put that on there. I do have a TikTok that I'm, I'm still learning how to be on TikTok. Oh my gosh, same. <laughs> and so, so I'm there-ish, you know, I'm learning and I'm growing. And I say this is still so normal like that. Like I, I love trying these, I love doing them, but I will, I'm in the transition right now. So I've been slowing down how much and how active I am on some of these platforms. 
but but I do love them. Community is really important to me. And so please connect with me, send me a message if this resonated for you uh, and, and any of that. Um, if you're in a in a workplace, if you're a Christian professional, consider your your employee resource groups. And uh, I am a speaker. I love coming to companies and talking about these things. And so imposter phenomenon, especially, it's my favorite one to discuss. If so, you know, your employee resource group has funds to bring speakers around. You know, bring Doctora Yvette as well, right? Like, <laughs> bring us all into these things. Like, you know, maybe digitally, you might fly her out, but yeah. <laughs> uh, virtual <laughs> but but no I guess again remembering it's like finding that voice feeling empowered to do these things it's just about asking and oftentimes these resources are there so you can connect with me on there and then that's where you'll find all the info but yeah please follow me please connect with me send me a message uh, I mean I respond to you immediately but I do eventually and I'm always happy to connect with people thank you and also for normalizing that it's okay to take a little time to respond to things too <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I, yeah. Know, I I have my my firm boundaries about these things about communication and you know um and I think that those are other ways to protect yourself and your mental health. Yeah. Oh yeah. We could do a whole session on just boundaries. Um but <laughs> I know that's like a separate session on imposter phenomenon, another one all on them, boundaries. It's just, exactly it's, it's a lot, but it's it's all a matter of like helping to take care of ourselves. And um, I really appreciate you coming today and, and sharing more about your wealth of knowledge on the topic. I, I think that a lot of folks are going to gain some valuable information. And if anything, even just the tips of like doing something today, of making it actionable, of making it easy, of making it uh, accessible, that mm -hmm. is really, really important. You know, we don't always learn these things in these educational settings, especially not in academia. Um, and so that's why we have to keep sharing this message. So thank you once again, Doctora Lisette, for coming on today. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right. One free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school fam touring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtouring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at Grad School Fan Touring. Thanks again and until next time.